So as I said earlier, I want to have a discussion about practice, about meditation, about the, the, the whole path of practice, what that means to you. It means different things to different people, different things at different stages of our lives and different stages of the path. So for many of you, you're perhaps uh, exploring or checking out or dipping your toe in the water of wondering what this practice is about, what meditation is about. Many of you, you've been exploring this for 10, 20, 30 years, maybe more. So, the teachings of, wisdom teachings are often paradoxical, as you may have noticed. So, you may hear things like, you're fine just as you are, or you're already awake, you're already free. but then it might not feel like your experience. Or as the saying goes, you're completely perfect just as you are, <laughs> but we could all do with a little improvement. <laughs> so, you could think of that as one orientation to the path, that we're fine just as we are. This isn't about self-improvement, per se not part of the self-help bookshelf because mindfulness isn't about improvement in its essence. It's about meeting the truth of our experience as it is. What we choose to do with that information is a whole other story because mindfulness informs wise action, wise intention, why speech, different aspects of our life and our path. So there's this, um, a piece of writing that's attributed to Lao Tzu, where he says, always we hope someone else has the answer, some other place will be better, some other time it will all turn out. Well, this is it. No one else has the answer. No other place will be better. And it is all turned out. It is all turned out. So what if this was as good as it gets? Because the truth is, this is good as it gets. No matter what the condition of your life is, in this moment, this is as good as it gets. This is how it is. So what's our response to that? Oh no, really? <laughs> I really hoped it would be something better than this. They told me on the, in the movies that the, the books I read, you know, was much more mystical and far out and groovy and, you know, I had a much better time on LSD, you know. Surely, surely it's not just this humdrum, mundane life my mind and my body and 
So my, one of my teachers in India, Punjaji, used to say this, this a lot, this is it, this is it. Why, you know, just like I said earlier, that teaching about those who uh, seek it afar, don't realize it is near. And you say, what are you looking for? Where, where, where do you think you're going to find it other than here? Why do you think it isn't already here, whatever it is that you're seeking? As Rumi so often points to the, the notion that we are the one that we're looking for. And, it doesn't rec- and the one we're looking for doesn't require any self-improvement. It is fine just as it is with all of its idiosyncrasies and foibles and weirdnesses and hang-ups. And so, but we have a paradox because in, 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 in this tradition, uh, meditation means, it comes from the word bhavana, which means cultivation, cultivation. So when we, bring in, when we think about the idea of cultivation, we're cultivating uh, to bring something forth, right? like a gardener. Right? You, cultivate, you cultivate, you tend to the soil so it can bear fruit, seeds and flowers and plants. And so in meditation we're cultivating the mind, cultivating the heart, cultivating awareness. And it's very easy to get into a forward mo- forward-leaning trap of, well, when I do this, when I get to this stage, when I do that, when I cultivate this, then what? Then something will happen. Then I'll be free. Then I'll be happy. Then I'll be enlightened. If only I could just follow three breaths, then that would be heavenly. If only I could, you know, fill in the blanks. And at the same time, it's very obvious if we look at your mind in the last half an hour, 40 minutes of the meditation, right? some cultivation is required, required, right? Anybody not feel that? <laughs> Anybody feel like the, the, like the, the garden meditation was a, was a bit of brambles and weeds and <laughs> wrong turns and falling down gopher holes and so we begin the practice with with awareness with with this innate quality of attention to get to know ourselves to understand the mind the workings of the heart to understand the the, the truth the laws that govern this world we get to take an honest look at what's going on in our, in our mind stream. Not always pretty, often a little humbling. If your meditation isn't humbling, you're probably not looking hard enough. Because if you're really paying attention, you see how wacky and crazy the mind is, how hopelessly inattentive it can be, scattered and wandering and deluded. So we're learning to meet the conditions of our lives. As the saying goes, how does that saying go? It goes, 
know, this memory is fading really quickly on the spot. <laughs> Be the knowing of the conditions, not the conditions that are known. Be the knowing of the conditions, not the conditions that are known. It's a slight paraphrase of the phrase I was thinking of. So we rest in this amazing quality of awareness to meet the conditions of our life, internally, externally, with as much presence and kindness and forgiveness and patience and love as we can. And then we forget and we mess up and we get reactive and we get hurt and we get deluded and spacey and, and we start again. And that takes about a minute, and then you start again. So I just taught a retreat this weekend at Esalen. Uh, it, was, uh, on, it was a nature retreat where we sat outside overlooking the ocean, a very beautiful place to practice. If those of you who haven't been down to Big Sur, I highly recommend it. And people kept asking, how do I take this practice back into my life? It's really easy to sit outside in the gardens of Esalen and feel really happy, but how about when I'm late for work on the freeway and there's traffic on the Bay Bridge? That's a little more challenging. Or when I'm late for getting my kids to school and they don't want to go. Or my body is feeling sick with, with, a, with a chronic illness. And my response was, well, it's no different than what you're doing here. You're just learning to meet the conditions of, your, of this moment. It doesn't matter way, whether it's beautiful or difficult or horrible. What else can we do but show up and meet them as they are? So this is a part of a poem from Jennifer Wellwood, where she says, Willing to experience aloneness, I discover connection everywhere. Someone was asking me a question about loneliness earlier, and this is a response to that. Willing to experience aloneness, I discover connection everywhere. When we, when we embrace our aloneness and loneliness, it means we don't abandon ourselves. Usually when we're feeling difficulty, what happens is we check out, we escape, we went away from ourselves, and we add to the suffering by abandoning ourselves. So mindfulness is the way that we turn towards ourselves in a way that nobody else can, even though we look for it to be met outside from someone else. Turning to face my fear, I meet the warrior who lives within. Turning to face my fear, I meet the warrior who lives within. So this, this, this turning towards, this being with ourselves is, is challenging, right? It's not easy to sit with yourself and with all the crazy stuff that's in your mind and your body. So we, 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 could come, we bring forth courage from the heart. Opening to loss, I gain the embrace of the universe. Opening to loss, I gain the embrace of the universe. Again, opening to ourselves, we discover connection. Surrendering into emptiness, I find fullness without end. Each condition I flee from pursues me. Each condition I welcome transforms me. That's a really wonderful metaphor for practice. Each condition I flee from pursues me. You ever tried running away from something you don't like? Have you had, have you had great success with that? 
running away from a relationship, and oh, it pops up in the next one. Running away from yourself when you go to Hawaii, and there you are. (laughs) Your mind, and all your worries, and neuroses, and foibles, and... We follow ourselves around, our pain follows us around, our conditions follow us around until we turn to face them, to meet them, with as much patience and kindness as we can. Each condition I flee from pursues me. Each condition I welcome transforms me. So when we can welcome, when we can open to these things, what happens? We, we get to know them. We get information about what's happening. We get understanding. We stand under them, however difficult they are. And we, we, we transform. We change in that understanding, in the light of that awareness may take a few years, may take a few decades sometimes. But what else, what other choices do we have? I mean, you can drown it out with certain things, right? You can beer and sports and whatever your, you know, whatever way we like to numb out. We don't have to numb out with sports, but we can use sports to do that. <laughs> Just want to put the caveat in. Enjoying watching the NBA recently, that was really fun. Um, actually, I don't find watching sport very fun these days because the more mindful I am, the more, the more I realize I'm just really anxious about watching a game because you know, I'm, I'm rooting for one team or the other usually, and even if I'm not, some, my mind will find one team, usually the underdog, to root for, and then I get really anxious because they're usually losing. And I get really stressed when the team wins, and I start feeling hatred and jealousy and greed and grasping, and and I'm like, God, oh, this is really miserable. <laughs> and it's the seven games in the series. God, it's like it's long torture. So anyhow, my intention was to um, to open the floor tonight, uh, since I don't often have time for questions because I talk too long. Um, I wanted to uh, just find out what what what's what's happening for you in your practice. What 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 are you doing when you meditate? What are you doing with your mindfulness practice? How do you apply that in your life? Where is it challenging to be awake, to be present? Yeah. So. Anybody like to either either ask a question or have me speak to some aspect of practice or how to apply this practice? Yes. Maybe say your name before you speak. Maybe we can get a microphone. That would be wonderful. Um, thank you. Uh, we, we, you can say it. No, I'll, I'll, I'll repeat it. But I have one of those voices. Oh, yes. Harry. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, Thanks, George. My name is Of an automatic process, what 
kinds of suggestions might be have to to free the the breathing process uh, as opposed to having a mantra that you focus on because it seems like without a focal point in some way all of the stories trip in and out and the to-do lists and I should have and I need to and whatever mm -hmm. the monkey mind mm -hmm. yeah everybody hear the question that was a long okay it was a wonderful question thank you um, Well, there's a short answer and a long answer, so I'll start with the, the long answer, um, which is, you know, there are many different kinds of practice, and, and what you're pointing to is the, is the two main distinctions between meditation practices, one, one being concentration practice and one being um, more open awareness practice, like mindfulness, that's not... So concentration practice is an excluding practice in that we exclude everything from our attention except the very thing that we're pinpointing our focus on. So in this case, the mantra. So because of that pinpointed focus over time as you develop some skill with that, then you do learn how to block out everything and become absorbed in, in this case, the mantra. It could be a color, it could be a visualization, it could be the breath. And... Um, and that's an incredible training for the mind, for the attention, wonderful for the nervous system. And the Buddha taught those kinds of uh, concentration practices uh, as a way to train the mind to come into calm and stillness and then to apply that depth of concentration to seeing more deeply and clearly into the conditions of our lives. So um, uh, both are taught within this practice and one of the reasons we use the breath as a primary object is it actually spans both practices. You can use the breath in a one-pointed way as a focus point for concentration. Mostly people use the tip of the nose, where there's a very fine point of sensation. It could be the top of the lip, but wherever you feel the, most, the breath most clearly, and to, and to narrow the attention to just to that as a way of um, uh, excluding the things that cause us distraction hindrances usually so it may be that you you know if, if you want to develop concentration then it may be that you just use the breath in that more one-pointed way it may not be as one-pointed as the mantra practice for you as you're as you're probably discovering um, it's not necessarily a bad thing unless you want to develop concentration so it may be that if you if you do want to go develop more concentration you, you do a different practice you know, like you do use your mantra practice. The, the value of the non-concentration path is that we're not excluding, we're, we're, we're opening to the full range of our experience, which could be any, any manner of senses, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, thinking, seeing, visualizing internally, Because that is how we move through our lives, right? We move through our lives aware of the just have a radial awareness of our experience, and we want to learn how to bring that quality of attention from, our, from the depth of meditation into our lives. So, although it's not as concentrated, it's a, it, it's 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 translating 
it's translatable into our everyday lives, so we learn how to move through the world with awareness, with presence. So um, I would you know, suggest that you not worry so much about the fact that you're getting distracted, because the, 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 the power of the concentration is returning. So at times we don't need to return because we can sustain concentration. But the, the training of the mind is that returning power, returning, returning from distraction. And also understanding what happens when we're not here. So part of the value of when our mind wanders is we get to see where, 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 our en- where the energy is. Because energy follows attention. Now attention is being pulled to these different things, feelings, concerns, worries, self-views, ideas, concepts that may not be that helpful, that may be causing a lot of stress. So we're applying the, 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 the attention to understand that. So rather than thinking of it as a problem, get more curious about where you're going. Like, well, what, what is pulling me that's not the breath? And, and why is that? And what are the, what are the feelings underneath? You know, if it's a lot of thoughts, which it usually is, what are the feelings underneath that? What, what's, what's the gravitational pull? What do I need to understand that's taking me away that's so compulsive about that? So, yes. Do you want to get the mic? Where are we? Yeah. No. We're good, George. You know, let's say you have three or four things that you um, you observe your mind going to consistently. What do you do with that after you observe that? I mean, how do how does one use that that information? When you notice the mind going to habitual things, yeah. habitual thoughts, habitual. Where from there? Where do you go from there? You just go back to the breath and. You could so 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 different different options. So um, you know, I think the one of the, the I'd say the one of the most important supports for this practice is 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 investigations, curiosity. So when you notice your mind going somewhere, especially if it's going habitually, to get curious about just like I was saying a little earlier, what what's the what's the pull here? What's why do I keep if, if contentment and peace is, is available right here, but my mind keeps pulling me over here to why I'm not good enough, or, or fears about money, or relationship, or whatever the, whatever the stories are, we want, it, we want to understand what's, what's, what's going on. Like what's, why is that so gripping? So you can just notice it and come back to the breath, that's fine. But you can also notice it and, ha- and, and feel into it. So one of the ways to do that is just to feel into your body, to feel into what emotions are happening. Because usually it's our emotions that are driving a behavior and driving our thinking. So to get to understand that relationship between feelings and thought, to get to understand w- how gripping thoughts are, how, so how gripping emotions are. And usually, our th- the, way I underst- the way I feel it is that my thoughts are like these I don't know, flag bearers. They're kind of running along, waving at me, going, you're really pissed off. <laughs> Pay attention. You're really upset about something. Oh, all oh right. Because you know, I'm rehashing some argument 
with somebody over and over, and then, oh, right, I'm really upset about this. I'm really mad this person said that. I'm really, I'm really distressed about this situation. So it means coming into the body and feeling, recognizing, acknowledging how that's running in the system. And usually when we, when we meet something with awareness, and when we name it, which means we, we become slightly metacognitive to it, which means we become, we're sort of observing it as if from a third person, there's more space and usually the something in us relaxes, softens, and it shifts into something else. So, so you can do two things. One is you just notice it and come back, especially if your mindfulness isn't that strong, and you just feel like if you start inquiring into it, you'll just go off on some long psychoanalytic track about something. But at times, you know, there's a little more presence, and give some attention to your body and your heart. See what happens. Yes, at the back. Oh, I can barely see in the dark. Hi. Uh, microphone in the back. Hi, I'm Anne. Hi, Anne. Um, I follow several different practices, and I find that what used to make me so afraid that fear does not have the same hold on me since my meditation is um, so solid in myself. That's not to say that I haven't had challenges, but it doesn't have the same hold on me. That fear doesn't take me to the place that before I practiced 20 years ago, I thought, you know, when my mother dies, how am I going to do that? And my mom passed away... Um, a year ago, and I walked through it in a way that was, who is that in me that walked through that? That wasn't the same person 20 years ago. And then my dog, who was my firstborn, as far as I'm concerned, my beloved, whose name was Kuan Yin, she passed five months after my mother passed. And I, after 14 years, I thought, how would I ever be without Kuan Yin, my, my life, and she passed, I held her as I held my mother. And fear does not have that, I don't have the same relationship with fear. And when I say it, I have to say cancel first, a little superstitious. There's certain things I'm not sure I would walk through as smoothly. If something happened to one of my daughters, I just don't think that fear would be that easy for me to walk through. But when I meditate, I keep envisioning this tennis racket. I used to play tennis, haven't played in, in so many years, that my life feels like a sweet spot. That no, no matter what comes to me, it affects me, I meditate, and the fear loosens to realizing that whatever it is that is coming at me, that it can hit the sweet spot and find the direction it needs to go in, and that it is perfect, even though it's difficult. It's mm -hmm. still perfect. I don't know who I am anymore. It's not the same person that's doing this. I don't think I'm enlightened by no means, but it's a little scary thinking, maybe God's going to take me because I'm getting too enlightened. I'm hoping it's a narcissistic <laughs> thought, because a friend of mine said to me years ago, when I said that to her, she says, Annie, don't worry about it. You're not close. So... <laughs> I, I just, That's a good it, friend. <laughs> <laughs> but, 
But life is just a sweet spot. And I don't know if I'm just on a run for the last 20 years of like things going well and then shit's going to hit the fan. But the 20 years have been good. I've gone through major uh, surgeries, losing my dog, losing my mother, losing my best friend. And still I stand here and say, life is extremely good. Mm. I don't know who that is mm. inside me saying that. Mm. But I like her. Mm-hmm. I'm a party of one, and I like the company. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, so sometimes we don't recognize ourselves or know ourselves. Sounds like you're experiencing a, a lot of fruits of your own practice and your own wisdom. Thank you. Yes, hand over there. Oh, did you want Did you want Here, why don't you? Okay. Go for it. All right. I'm Silke. I've um, meditated for a couple of years, and my qu- my question follows the previous speaker, where I find myself when I sit really dropping into my senses, and I become, I guess, preoccupied with what I hear, what I feel in terms of temperature. You spoke about that a couple ni- a couple weeks ago about the mm-hmm. senses, mm-hmm. and then. I feel I get such a presence in that and such profound peace that I then wonder, okay, am I now preoccupied with my senses? <laughs> so that's the question that I have. Is that sort of the, the pre-stage to walking through the portal or where am I with that when mm. I get lost in the stance of the senses? When you get lost in the what of the senses? The dance. In the dance. Uh, what, what makes you say that you're lost in the dance? It seems that I'm still in some form of presence of interacting. I hear the birds, I mm-hmm. feel the temperature, I so I feel it's still sort of a very engaged process. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. <laughs> um, I would say the I say the only thing that, that stood out for me as you were talking would be um, when you said you start thinking about the fact that you're preoccupied with your senses, in that moment you're preoccupied with your thoughts about that. And that's the only thing to notice. You know, it's, it's the, so the, the, the mind's coming in and, and you know, doing its best to have some reflective process or inquiry about what's happening. But it sounds like that very thought is the is the very habit of mind that takes you out of the direct immediate experience. So, you know, one way to understand mindfulness is through the senses and through that simple bare attention that you're speaking to. And it's a beautiful doorway. And most of us don't have that doorway. Most of us just live up you know, above our eyebrows in this cerebral neocortex kind of mind spin. And um, so I would invite you to keep uh, dwelling in that, in your senses as the doorway to presence and just to see what, see what unfolds. And to watch the mind making a story or a problem or, because or, what, what I'm hearing is, yeah, that's great, but, and, what about mm, the portal and the doorway and stepping through and da 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 da? Well, 
maybe that is the portal. That is the portal, actually. So, what would it be just to to rest in that and see what unfolds? Have fun. <laughs> so, um, <coughs> and I say have fun in, in in a serious way, not not to get serious about having fun, but um, you know we can get really serious about our practice and and overly concerned and worried you know it's useful to be reflective and 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 and, and all of that and um i think we all worry too much you know, we worry about am i doing it right is this the right way is this the is this the most expedient you know fastest quickest um you know i love that i had the dalai lama once say you know try a practice get the instructions, find a good teacher, get the teaching, download it, you know, make sure you know what you're doing, do it for 10 years, and then, then take a look, see if it's doing any good. <laughs> you know, like, take a long-range view. You know, not right by Tuesday morning, God, this really isn't doing it for me. <laughs> Let's try harder, try harder. <coughs> so, there was a hand up there, yeah. Sorry. Yes, uh, my name is David, and um, I find... Uh, the breath and the sensations of um, sitting in a gravitational field, the sensations of the body, very natural, very easy, and a, a really um, reliable anchor. But um, if I just let go, my body will start to fall forward. My head will fall forward on my chest, and I'll start to fall forward, literally. And I have to maintain a thought and an intention, a constant thought and an intention, to sit upright. And the, the practice, uh, in addition to um, the, uh, the flowering of, of thoughts and feelings and coming back uh, to the anchor, to the breath and the sensation of sitting, is a uh, sort of a struggle between the thought and the intention of sitting up straight and then losing that thought and intention and falling forward and then back and forth. It's like, a, it's like another dimension. So what happens when you fall forward in terms of your inner state? Anything happen, or do you just fall forward? I, I fall forward, and then I remember to um, I remember the intention, and then I sit back up straight again. But what if you don't correct yourself? What happens? You just let yourself fall forward, and I go into a deeper meditation. Great. So let yourself fall forward. <laughs> I end up on the floor. <laughs> See what happens. <laughs> Maybe that's the way you're supposed to be. <laughs> you know, if, if it if it takes you to depth, then who cares about your posture? Like, really, you know, all these things, all these there's all these techniques and tools and math. They're all supports. You know, the supports for clarity, for awakening, for for depth, for insight. So you know, yeah, we sit up straight because it helps our energy. But if you know, if, if you know, if the depth is wanting to fall forward, then let it fall forward. See what happens. You know, maybe put a little pillow in front of you. <laughs> I did. One of my friends once. I was sitting next to him. I was in London, in this retreat, in this meditation center, and all of a sudden I had this crack, and he fallen asleep. I think and his, his head had hit the floor, or some mystical state. I don't know. But <laughs> so a nice little cushion in front, and you're good. Well, sit right next to a wall so you don't you don't fall that far forward. 
So, good. Yeah, there was Thank a hand you. up over there. Oh, we got a hand. Okay, here we go. Um, I have been having a lot of doubts lately. Can you give me some advice? I mean, it's doubts about doubts about the practice and the whole thing, and it's making me really uncomfortable and angry. What's what's <laughs> making you uncomfortable and angry? Just the doubts. Just uh -huh. like I mean, everything is just like it. I didn't have it like a year ago, mm -hmm. and just it's popping like mm. every corner I turn. I like even like. Just I don't know. It's little things that I feel like my mind just keeps picking on little things. In the practice or in the teaching or in everything. Everything. Yeah, uh -huh. and it's a study. Then I, it's something kind of. Is it's it hard to deal with, and I, I, I want to know if there's something that some kind of different practice I should be doing. And mm -hmm. um, is it doubt or is it aversion? It sounds like aversion. Um, what does that mean? Aversion like uh, hatred, resistance, not liking. No, reactivity. I like it here. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I do. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but it's kind of like doubt, like um, even like for a small example, like uh, the whole building of the upper retreat fundraising, I didn't have that negative feeling before, but like I start to have this like, what is that about, you know? So everything is, you know, because this is like beautiful room to me, mm -hmm. and the um, idea of, I don't know, I'm not, I, it's hard to explain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like even so that, like everything is just coming to me like the statue and suddenly it's just all turning into So that. what happens when you see the statue? Uh, uh, I don't know, it's... Like what's up with that? Yeah, it's not as um, my mind just keeps tricking my like it's it's I think it's tricking me. Mm -hmm. Like it turns from the beautiful statue and statue that I used to look at, and it'll just kind of turn into um, very expensive thing that we don't need. Mm -hmm. It keeps like mm -hmm. one from another. My mind keeps just mm -hmm. turning. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And how do I, it's tricking me constantly, yeah. like playing with my mind, whatever it is. Yeah, so it, it still sounds like aversion to me. I oh, mean, really? I, I get that it's got a doubt flavor for you. Uh. I mean, it sounds like it's a mix of, or maybe the doubt triggers the aversion, like, you know, it's expensive and we don't need those and whatever, and who is he anyway? And Right. You know, um, so, you know, with the, with the mindfulness practice, um, I would invite you to actually allow it, like really let, let it actually, let it rip a little bit. So let yourself really feel the fullness, like get rid of these statues, you know, and what's up with the building campaign and bloody blah, blah, you know, like just see what happens rather than like, no, I shouldn't have that and fighting it and that's wrong and that's taking me away. No, that, that's actually what's happening, right? And it's making me angry, like it's yeah, literally Yeah, so feel mad. angry. So let yourself oh. feel angry. And see what happens, right? Let yourself feel like as, 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 as angry as you want to be, as, you, as the system wants to be. Right? And, but you're, you're resting in awareness with it, right? right? And it will come and it will go, it will come and it will get big and you want to blow up something or, you know, hate everything. And, and then, you know, at some point, like, oh, yeah, well, anger, well, doubt. It's like this. So in that phrase that Achen Sameda uses, um, 
where we where we name something like oh doubt doubt is like this, oh hatred feels like this, aversion resistance feels like this, right? So you just you just keep widening the goalpost of awareness. Oh oh doubt too. Oh I can I can handle doubt. Doubt's just doubt. It's a mind state. It's has a strong pull in the mind. Okay, but you can stay steady in awareness with these feelings coming and going. Yeah, and that's not a problem, right? We th- the mind thinks, oh, I've got to get rid of these difficult emotions, then I can meditate. No, we meditate with what's here. Right? And, and in every step of our practice, the mind will keep setting up this dichotomy. Oh, I have to get rid of this thing before I can just be myself or be awake or be present or something. It's like, no, how do I open to this? You know, and and and, uh, and and life is like this, and practice is like this, and just when we think we've got it figured out, you know, trapdoor opens, and we're in some kind of weird realm of who knows what. And oh, oh, this now I'm feeling like scared, or now I'm feeling forlorn, or um, despair, or who knows what wants to come and be felt and known and understood and liberated. So, just to see what happens. So, George, there's a hand up over there in the middle, the lady with the blue, and then a hand further back after that. Keep your hand up, who had the hand up? Hi. So when you asked the question at the beginning, for me what came up was Uh, One of the hardest areas for me to stay mindful in is hearing about the environmental destruction and uh, the loss of species on this planet. But then paradoxically, it it is also very helpful for me. (laughs) So I was just wondering, because I know you lead wilderness retreats, Mm -hmm. if you address that or Mm -hmm. what you would say about that. Yeah, that's a great question. Um. I would say for me and for many of us, it is one of the hardest things to be present to, to uh, the incredible tragedy of the, the, the loss of species and the degradation of the planet and its integrity and its systems. And uh, I've done a lot of work with Joanna Macy, who I imagine you know, and um, she's a wonderful Buddhist teacher and activist. and my doorway to that was was through her encouragement to feel the grief, to feel the grief and the pain, and uh, as a doorway to um, uh, both uh, equanimity and empowerment around it. So, um, and she teaches, as you probably you may know, she teaches grief, grief rituals and truth and truth circles and. Um, so the, 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 the normal response to it is we, we, we either ignore it because it's too painful or we numb out because it's too painful. And both of those lead to um, inaction and not, not, not a useful responsiveness to the problem, in my experience. And... Um, uh, when we can allow our heart to remain unblocked and to, and to feel, you know, every time I hear about 
the threatened, uh, some species that's threatened or, or gone extinct. Um, the, in, terms of, in terms of systems theory, in terms of understanding yourself, ourselves as part of the web, it's important, one, to both feel that, right? I think species becoming extinct is tragic. Species becoming extinct and nobody feeling anything about it is even more tragic because that will lead to more of the same blind, ignorant, selfish behavior and actions that's caused you know, uh, the, 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 so much of the causes of you know, uh, species loss and habitat loss. So, um, so for me, that's you know the, the 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 knowledge that we're privy to these days is is completely overwhelming. I mean, the fact that we know about endangered species and we know about climate change and we know about um, the species die-off that's going to happen in the next fifty years, we'll lose perhaps fifty percent of the species known to Earth, known to, known to man. Um, horrific statistics if we carry on living in the way that we do as a species, which we look like we will because of ignorance. Um, I find uh, a few things. One is that feeling the grief of that allows me not to go completely numb and terrified. Um, Two, it actually frees up energy. If it's, it seems counterintuitive, we, we feel we normally with grief we don't want to go near it because we feel like we'll drown in the well of it. And actually, when we when, whenever we turn towards anything and we feel it and it moves through, it actually releases energy because we're not spending so much energy keeping it down. Um, and then two other things I think important. One is taking action. One is finding some way to do your small part in the service of. Uh, the earth, whatever that looks like, whether that might be gardening to you, it might be involvement in some local organization, it might be supporting local farmers, it might be who knows what it will look like, it might be knocking down the doors of DC, um, trying to get politicians to wake up. Um, and the last thing is to, uh, which I do a lot of, which is to go out into the, in, in, into the outdoors and and enjoy and appreciate that beauty and wonder and mystery of of the earth is still alive and vibrant and ultimately we don't know the fate of of how things are going it's going in a pretty bleak direction if you know the statistics and um, you step outside and summer is in full bloom and birds are still singing and the moon is still circling around the earth. So I'm not sure if that's helpful, but that's a multi-pronged approach. Um, and, and, to ask, and to ask these questions and to, and to keep the conversation alive. It's amazing how, I mean, I look at, I look at the, you know, and I what, look at what's happening politically and it's the, the, the state of the environment is almost absent from the dialogue, you know, in Europe it's more pres- present because the impacts, uh, um, the just the, the the consciousness I think in Europe that's um, that's just more attuned, 
and there's less corporate interest determining the agenda, the political agenda. Um, but in this country, I'm sad, it's sad to say that there's just very little dialogue about it. There's very little dialogue in the spiritual communities. We've gone to sleep, and we're, we're all on the Titanic, rearranging the furniture on the deck. Um, and we will, you know, those of us, well, who, probably most of us will, will, will see some of the, the, the horrific impacts of our mm, cultures of consumption. You know, I was listening to a show recently on NPR um, where they were interviewing top military commanders. The military is probably the most, aside from organizations like Earthwatch and environmentalists who are tracking the data, the military is the next most informed uh, organization around, around climate change and global warming because they're very aware of the huge impacts it will have on society and mass migrations of population and political instability and wars and over scarcity over, over resources. Um, and they were very matter-of-fact chronicling what's coming down the pipe very in, 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 in probably in a short period of time. So, um, so I think, you know, for myself as an as a, as a earth lover, I, um, you know, I, I don't talk about this so much because, uh, well, it makes people feel uncomfortable, that's <laughs> the truth. And it also makes people feel um, guilty. And I don't do this to make people feel guilty. I do this to, um, uh, you know, the reason that I, and I just taught this nature retreat uh, in Esalen, and as I mentioned, and I do it because I, the, my intention for my nature work is to make people fall in love with the earth so they, so they step up and take care of the earth. We don't take care of anything unless we love it, right? We have to love it. And then, you know, just like we do with our children or our friends or our loved ones, we, we will fight for them valiantly when we love them. So we, but we, we live in this world where we've removed ourselves from, from so much visceral contact with the natural world that we, you know, when you hear about some, you know, urban sprawl and some mall being built over farmland, it's like, oh, well, you know, it's a drag. But when we when we spend a lot of time out in, in on the earth, then we you know we, we care about it and we fight for it. We we want to protect it because it's such a beautiful, precious thing. So, and I think as 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 uh, um, as, uh, as 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 mindfulness practitioners who are cultivating awareness, I think it 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 behooves us as much as anybody, if not more, to to play a part, to see that we are all contributing. And we all have a part to play in how we live, how we choose, how we act, what we buy, what we don't buy, what we, when we fly, when we don't fly. Um, so, thank you for that question. It's close to my heart. So I'm going to close with a poem um, that I wrote uh, yes, last year. I'm not sure if I've read that here. I may have done, but it speaks to this theme of mindfulness and turning towards um, which I think is one of the essence of our practice here. <clears throat> Your only duty is to not run, even if the hole of loss burns deep in your belly, 
and on waking you feel the dread of walking into the day stripped bare as wind pierces the empty caverns within. You can always pretend, try putting on a face other than your own, but that's a game that's never worked and only burns a deeper hole inside the pocket of longing and makes the shell you've chosen to live in even more hollow. But there are times when there's no choice but to turn towards where you are and touch the hungry places inside you've spent a lifetime running from. With delicate hands of love, the way the evening fog envelops the solitary tree, without flinching, pressing into and loving every gnarled crevice, every twisted branch, even the forgotten needles fallen to the ground. This is the first step that begins the slow journey of completeness, keeps inviting you deeper into the roots of yourself, claiming your place that has been waiting, that is always right here. So thank you for your attention. Thank you for your practice. Um, it's been a pleasure to be teaching here. I am taking a sabbatical, a, sh- a short sabbatical from work. I'm taking the summer off to write. So I probably won't be back uh, until at least September, if not October. So have a wonderful summer. And uh, take care of yourself and take care of each other. Thank you. Blessings. <laughs>